Okay. Um, so just some groundwork and some background in, in information on First Peter. Uh, first of all, it is um, it is ostensibly written by the Apostle Peter, uh, and that's the identification an apostle of Jesus Christ. Uh, if any, you know, if John, if you read this in seminary uh, in the Greek, you know, you probably agree that the Greek here is just incredible. It's very, very elegant. So there's been a lot of arguments that uh, someone like Peter, who was a, uh, a fisherman who had never been went to school, could write in such elegant Greek. But it's it's uh, he mentions later that there is a, a gentleman by the name of Silas who uh, helped, who was his secretary, and that guy. And the secretary, I don't know if you guys have ever been in business. When I was in uh, in practice, we had a secretary who would translate our gibberish into real good English. And that's what probably Cyrus, Silas was doing. So, a um, couple of things. I'm using uh, um, a translation from the Nestle Allen uh, Greek, which is a little bit more accurate and is different. It will be different from the King James and the New King James uh, or the RSV, even the NIV. So, bear with me with it. I just find it much more accurate and easy to study with. Um, the next thing is that... Uh, there are things in here that uh, we will have some controversy over, okay? And bear with me. I will try to balance out the controversies uh, and give you a good sense of what is happening in this. Um, I will read it. I read it one way. I'm sure there are others in this group that will look at it and see or hear different things in what is being said. That's a matter of, of interpretation. And just to give you an idea of this, let me read you. A, let me read you something, and I want you to listen to this carefully, if you can, with this setup. So, dear, dear Harry, we are so happy that Fred will be released by the weekend. Molly can hardly wait. The old gang is planning the usual party at Charlie's place. Bring Tracy. We'll see you there. You have any idea what that's about? Anybody? Did you say the guy's being released, Pete? Yeah, he's being released by the weekend. By the weekend. What is it all about? All right. The point, I mean, the point of this is we don't know where Fred is being released from. Is he being released from the hospital, from prison, from wherever? Who the heck is Molly? Is that his wife, his girlfriend, his dog, uh, the old gang? Who are they? We don't know. And we have to remember that the Bible is written for us, but not to us. Right? You get the difference? You know, the people who read First Peter would understand completely what he's talking about and all these things. But we may or may not. And sometimes we have to say, I don't know. And we have to say, I don't know, but let's go on and see what we can get from this, uh, this uh, scripture. But we do, we have to enter this study with the expectation that the Holy Spirit is active within the text and in us as we read the text. We have to go into the study with that expectation. All right? Now, it is a letter. All right? Now, a letter in ancient times is a specific form. It's uh, signature first. Then it tells you who's addressed. There's some praise and thanksgiving. 
there's a message, and there's a closing greeting and a, a farewell. That's every letter, whether it's written by a Christian or a pagan, that's the form it has. And Peter follows that pretty well. He does throw in what may be termed liturgical stuff. And there are several hymns embedded within this, this letter. So it's a little different from the normal pagan letter, but it's still a letter. Uh, and as such, we'll have to look at and understand who it's written to, what's it for, and what's it going, what we're talking about. There are also some code names that we'll get to, and uh, we'll talk about a little bit as well. This is a what is called a Catholic epistle. Not Roman Catholic, but Catholic meaning universal. It is not meant for a specific group or purpose like, say, Corinthians was written to correct a problem, or Thessalonians to correct some misunderstanding. This is a general letter written to a groups of people to give them uh, expert, uh, exhortation, give them encouragement, and give them some doctrinal foundation. So, with that, uh, we, I will begin to read 1 Peter, chapter 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect, exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ, and for a sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Okay. How does Peter identify himself? As an apostle of Jesus okay, what's Christ. That? What's an apostle? One of the 12 what? who one of the 12 who uh, he, Jesus chose at the beginning of his ministry. Okay. That's, what's the difference between that and say in the, uh, some church groups will call their leaders an apostle or they'll have an office of apostle. Is there a difference or are they misusing the term? They're misusing the term. Okay. So does Paul misuse the term when he calls um, mm. uh, uh, Priscilla an apostle? Because he does use yeah. that term. So yeah. Paul is misusing the term. You have to make it different. Apostle with a capital A and apostle with a little a. And it doesn't come across. But there is a difference. The apostle with a capital A is what Peter is talking about. Someone who had, was lived with the Christ is one of the twelve. Who, uh, yes. Life is mm-hmm. Little A. That just means someone who is sent. So the Greek word just means someone sent. You have a specific person. It, it becomes like an ambassador is an apostle in, in, the, in the Greek in the Greek sense in the little A sense. So these churches that have a term apostle really are meaning that these people are ambassadors of Christ. They are those who are sort of formulating and trying to make inroads in another nation or another place. But a capital A apostle, which is what's used here, is that someone who was with Christ during his life, death, and resurrection. Okay. To those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, does anybody know where those are? 
in Greek? Turkey, right? Yeah. Greek. Well, yeah, in northern Turkey. Uh, these, uh, these places, you probably, the Romans would have called this, in our terms, West Virginia. Okay, this is the backwoods. This is the, the backwoods of the Roman Empire. It is just on the edge of the Roman Empire. Sort of not that important. It's more a buffer. So it's not a place where it's considered very cultured, very elite. It is just a backwoods. Okay. Um, notice the word dispersion. That word there is diaspora. Diaspora or diaspora. Anybody know what that is? To be displaced. Okay. I'm sorry, I didn't hear. Can I just say something in my answer to that question? What is the dispersion or the diaspora? John, you can answer, you know this. Dispersion was to be spread out. They were all over the place. They were they were exiled from their original their original place. Okay. Well, the question is there are two questions. The first of all, the original term diaspora is is usually used for the Jews. Okay, the Jews mm -hmm. were spread everywhere, and they were the people of the dispersion. Now, these are not Jews he's talking to. These are Gentiles. So there, and probably if you read through the book and listen to it, it's, it's these converts who are Gentiles. They have nothing to do with being Jews. So why do you think he uses a Jewish term for these Gentile Christians? <clears throat> He's engrafting them into the church by doing that. Okay, good. Uh, showing the... Um, the communality of the relationship that they have with the Jews, similar circumstances. Right. He's trying to establish at the very beginning of the letter the continuation that, that Israel, the people of God, is now continuing into the Christian faith. Okay, so there's, there's not a sharp separation between Judaism and Christianity. It is is flowing into one another. So he's identifying these people with God's elect people who have been dispersed throughout the land. Just like the Jews were dispersed, the Christians are. Um, okay. Our first, our first, uh, it says, well, not that for exiles. What's an exile? out. Kicked out. Okay. Put out. Okay. Anybody else? Kicked out of your own country. Well, yeah, usually. Okay. But are these people, is there any indication that these people are kicked out of the country? No. They've been kicked out of, they've been exiled from their, their pagan culture and, uh, and place. They're exiles right. Exiles in faith, so to speak. Right. Now is someone who's temporary or transient resident of a land not their own. And this is one of the emphasis of Peter and his, his that we are not where we're supposed to be. 
we're here, this is a temporary situation, it's a temporary place. We're just living here as if we were exiles, as if we had just been thrown out of our own nations and we're wandering through. And that is one of the points Peter's makes. We don't belong here. This is not our place. This is temporary. This is something that has been placed upon us and not uh, something that is normal. Um, yeah. But we're special exiles. We are elect. And we are elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. What does that mean? John has one. I have another answer. But what does it mean to be elect? To be chosen. Right. To be chosen. Okay. So what does it mean to be chosen? Preferred. Favored. Yeah. Favored. Different. That separated. Separated. All those things. It means that we are are not only a place that is not our own, but we're different from everybody else. We have been elected, we have been chosen, we have been uh, set apart. Set apart, yeah. okay? And these next three or four words tell us how we were set, set, set apart. We are set apart in the foreknowledge of God, in the sanctification of the Spirit, and in a, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. So those are three things. Uh, and whenever you see three, you start thinking about Trinity. So all three members of the Trinity are involved here. Uh, the Father has some sort of foreknowledge, whether it's uh, your, your, if, whether it's your belief that God knows ahead of time what you're going to choose and therefore elects you, or you, He says, "I did this, therefore I know I, I chose you before." Um, uh, that whole situation, whether it's uh, our choice or well, free will and uh, God's sovereignty are kind of like railroad tracks. When you're standing between the railroad tracks, you have uh, our free will on one side and God's sovereignty on the other side. And if you fall off the, the, for, the uh, our free will side, we get this kind of uh, works fate. And if we fall off the uh, sovereignty side, we get sort of a fatalism that we can't do anything and God does everything. But if you think about it, when you're standing in the railroad tracks and there's no train coming, those tracks as they go off into the distance merge. Uh. They stay hooked together somehow. So it's we don't know how exactly that works. And that's one of the first things we don't know. How that works. How free will and God's sovereignty in election work. How they, how they intermingle and how they work together. Uh, there are different answers to that. And I don't think anybody has come up with a perfect answer, but someday I'm, that's one of the things I ask God, you know, what, how this all works. But they do work together somehow. And somewhere down the road, they actually merge. But we don't know how uh, exactly. Uh, I'm much more on the rail that's, that's called sovereignty. Uh, others are on the rail that's on free will. But they've come together eventually, so we don't have to worry. The point is, if you are a believer in Christ, you have been chosen. That means that God has taken you out of others. 
And he's done that uh, the sprinkling for in the sanctification of the Holy Spirit. Sanctification, what does that mean? Made holy. Made holy. Right. Made holy. What does holy mean? Blameless. Anybody? Set apart. Set apart. Okay. Pure. What, is, what does it say in Scripture about our being holy? What is it? In Scripture, it talks about us being, it's actually in the Old Testament. Uh, God says, what? Be holy for I so am holy. Yes. Okay. I had an interesting conversation with a Talmudic scholar about that verse. And he showed me that in Hebrew, the grammar could say, be holy because I am. Or it could say, you are holy because I am holy. Now, if that's the right reading, what does that mean? See, that fits more with this thing. This what does it mean? It says, you are holy. It means that our identification is so close with the Lord that because he is holy, as believers, therefore we are holy. Okay. I got a great, I got a great uh, person here who helps me with the um, um, What about it being deliberate and being distinct and apart? Yeah, I think that's a good, good thing that, yes, are distinct and apart. We are um, uh, sanctified and sanctified for sprinkling with his blood. Now, the sprinkling of blood in the Old Testament did a couple of things. What? Anybody the know? I think it was a blessing over an off, offer, a blessing over an offering. Oh, some blessing. Okay. A blessing for the sacrifice. Yes. Okay. <coughs> All these things what we are. We are holy. We have been set apart. Anything that was set apart for God was sprinkled with blood. We are holy. We are set apart. We are uh, 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 cleansed and all those things. All right. Already, but not yet perfectly but already. We have God the Father working here, the foreknowledge of God, and his choosing, however that works. Sanctification of the Spirit of God sets us apart and makes us special and attractive people. And the spring of Jesus' blood. So we have all three members of the Trinity here. So this may or may not be a liturgical kind of thing, like a blessing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the question is, I think the real question that Peter would bring up, and I think that resonates in these people's minds, is, so what? If you are holy, if you have been set apart, and if you are, uh, and you are you're, you're sanctified, you're made holy, you're set apart, and you're chosen, so what? How do you react to that? 
You keep yourself unspotted from the world okay. by your obedience and your behavior through your faith. Okay. okay. You put that in really, you know, I ask you, I ask you to read my mind. You put that in a, in a brief sentence. You know, what would God be saying? Mm. All right. This is how I put it together. He says, look, I'm holy. You are identified with me, and we'll see that Peter uses a different image than Paul uses. Paul uses the body of Christ. He uses a different image. But you're part of me. You're, you're holy because I am holy. Mm-hmm. Act. Act that way. Yeah. Paul is, Peter is encouraging people here to realize their position in Christ and act accordingly. To be holy. To be, to show people that you are holy, that you are set apart, that you are different. Okay? Yes, and then, it's... I'm sorry? It's, Dr. Pete, it's like, your, it's like your reasonable service, Paul tells us in Romans, you know, because of what he did and how he made us holy, set apart, ready for heaven when he calls us home. We are, and so our service is reasonable to give it all to him. Yeah. Okay, good. Exactly, exactly. It's an idea of, look, for identity. Don't fake it by trying to be something else, even if you are doing it unconsciously. If you are living that old life, I mean, these are recent converts from Gentile paganism. So if you are still living that, you're faking it. That's not you. Your life. Your life is holy. Your life is sanctified. Your life, you're chosen. You are special. No matter what people say about you, no matter what people do to you, you are special. Okay? And you always regard you special. Okay? May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Unmerited. Grace is, grace is unmerited favor. Okay. God's unmerited favor. Okay. Anybody else? What does that mean? I mean, what is unmerited favor? Um, does everybody get grace? Something that we don't something that no. we don't deserve. Something that we haven't earned. I'm going to say something that might make everybody upset. Everybody gets grace, whether you're a believer or not a believer. Mm-hmm. Everybody has the door, cross the street, and not get run over. God has given you grace. But that's different from the grace that Christians get, which is, the, which is salvation. Okay. Now, grace is interesting in that it is a, in Greek, it's just a greeting. You wouldn't say hello to somebody. You'd say, grace, Karos, and you know, may you have many gifts, that kind of thing. Now, peace, on the other hand, is, is the, a Hebrew word or a Hebrew concept, shalom, which means, what's peace? Absence of conflict. Okay. Anything else? So if, if uh, you're, no one's yelling at you, screaming at you, and everybody's going nice, you're at peace. 
Is that true? Right. The Hebrew concept of, of peace is a um, sort of a, everything is balanced, it's harmony. Uh, you are where you are, and you're confident that you are where you're supposed to be, that you're safe where you are, that nothing will happen where you are because you're in harmony with God and man. That's what shalom is about. And what, if you look again, here's Peter taking a concept from Greek, karos, or grace, and a concept from Hebrew, shalom, peace, hmm. and hooking them together. Hmm. So he is saying, in essence, that, you know what? Again, as we are the continuation of Israel, we are hooked to Israel, we are hooked to the Jewish culture, we are fused into one body, that we are all together, that these two very radically different cultures have come together in Christ. And that's what he's saying here. He's <coughs> combining all these, these nuances and, and terms. Now, that's hard to pick up, but it's, they would have understood it immediately. Because the Greek concept of peace is no war. And we'll see in a little bit that they, were, they didn't have exactly what the Greek concept of peace was not going on in their lives. But we have peace in the Hebrew concept in that we're content in where we are, in who we are, and what is happening around us. We're content, which means that we're just accepting and happy for what we are. Okay. Now we go on to a prayer. Blessed be the God of our Father, our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Christ from the dead. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. Do you have any idea why that term is used, born again? I mean, we use it all the time. What does it really involve, being born again? Why, why would that term be used? Why would you say born again versus saved versus uh, brought into the kingdom versus one in Christ? Why would you use born again? A new life. A new life. Okay, versus the old life. Yes. All right. All right. And what is the old life? Sin, I guess. We're on a, we're being separated totally from God. Okay. I think the old life is being part of the world. Yeah. Okay. What did Christ do on the cross? We always talk about it in terms of death. He took our sins upon himself. In terms of death, what did he do? He conquered. Okay. He conquered, yes. Death. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm looking at who's saying it. Someone said death, separation from God. Yes. Death means separation. We are dead to sin. We say it all the time. We are separated to sin. We are dead. But when before we are we are dead to God. Okay? So we have to be born again. We have to be resurrected in order to be alive with God. 
or in God. So we, this idea that we are born again is just basically going from something that is not alive mm-hmm. to God to something that is alive to God. Mm-hmm. Okay. And here we are born again through Christ. But we're born not just for the fun of it, not for anything. We are born to what, according to Peter? To a living hope. A living hope. Now, okay, it says a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Why wouldn't he just say to a hope? That's one question. Second question is what hope? What is our hope? Our hope is eternal life, and the living, and the living hope. He is alive. He is alive. He is alive, and the guarantee of our hope is not someone who is dead, not something that is just a philosophy, not something that's just a moral code, but someone who is alive forever. That is our hope that we can rely upon. We have someone who is living that we can rely upon. It's really hard to rely upon Socrates, who's been dead for a thousand years, or, or Plato, who's been dead for uh, a thousand years. It's really hard to rely upon them. Even Moses, who has been dead for how many years? Probably about 2,000 years. Uh, about 1,000 years at this point. So it's, I mean, maybe 2,000 years at this point. Those, you'd have no, it's, you may have hope in them. And the difference between Judaism and Christianity is that Judaism has hope in someone in Mo in God, but Moses, Abraham, uh, you know, you hear again and again in Scripture, we are the sons of Abraham. Moses is our leader, right? But they're dead. You know, they are physically dead. Christ is physically alive. So our hope is living. It's different from other people's hope. It is much different because it relies upon a living, breathing person. Who also is the Son of God, but relies upon Him. And just as He is resurrected, we are as well. And Peter... Yes, sir. I was just going to say, that's really really why the resurrection of of Jesus is the central part of the faith. And, you know, he's talking to people who are brand new to the faith. So he really emphasizes that. Just like he's emphasized the Trinity. And he emphasized, I just want to add, I love it when I see it in Scripture. Uh, in verse 3, he identifies Jesus in a full title. The Lord yep. Jesus Christ. Uh, yep. I just noticed that there's a significance there as far as how they're supposed to view the Lord. How they're supposed to view Jesus. Uh, and when you talk about the resurrection the importance of the resurrection for them to understand. I just want to bring that out. You can take it from there. And a good, a good follow-up to your point, just jumping on top of that, is that when you see the word Lord uh, attached to Jesus, um, that's the, the Greek word is Adonai. It's in the Septuagint, which is the Hebrew scripture. That is the word that is used for God. And, and, and anyone who was reading this who was Jewish or had a notion of what Judaism was all about would have read it as God, Jesus, the Christ. Christ is not Jesus' last name. It's his, it's his title. 
Okay, and it's it, and, a, and a Jew reading it would say, and in God, the Messiah, Jesus. That's how they would read it, and that's an important point. We just sort of went over that and say, oh, Jesus Christ. Well, it's a little bit more than that. Okay, all right. A living hope through the resurrection to the inheritance. What do you have to have if you are having an What does it mean? If you get an inheritance from someone, what does that mean about your relationship to that person? Family or a close friend. Okay, family, close friend. Anna, you, I heard, I saw you hit the button, Anna. Oh, I, I think when you inherited something, uh, the person who's giving it to you uh, is probably looking upon you as someone who's deserving and worthy to get the inheritance. You know, you have to be someone um, that they look upon as, as being worthy, you know, someone special to get okay. it. Because I know that most of the time you turn your inheritance to your family, but you know, when you don't have a good relationship with some family members, you cut them out of your will. <laughs> so uh, I think to inherit uh, means again, it's a it's a it's a gift. It's a gift. Yeah. For, okay. for 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 me, is is uh, a legal and and family term. For me to inherit something from my father, I have to be uh, legally appointed to that privilege, and I get it legally through uh, the death and, and and life of Christ. To be a family, to be a son of God. Okay, good, good, excellent. So. Well, it could also be something that's just passed down. I think we usually think of inheritance as legal, but you can inherit um, a condition from from a family member. You know, it's just something that's passed down to you. Like a sickness? Right. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah, I was thinking of a medical condition or even okay. a skill. You know, I mean, I know that. Some people say, wow, you know, he plays whatever, does it so well, and must have inherited that skill from uh, his father or his mother. You know, you're really artistic. So sometimes we use the term that you've inherited. So it's something that someone had and they passed it on to you. Okay. But if it, if it passed, if, if you get an inheritance, all right, it would be extremely unusual that out of the blue, you get a letter in the mail that, John, uh, son, John Fitzgerald in uh, Arizona just uh, willed you his entire fortune. You have no, you're not even related to this person. You have no idea who he is. You've never met him. You've never seen him. This guy could just walk out. You know, you never know what the heck is going on here. Who the heck is this guy? You would not see that, okay? To get an inheritance really means you have a relationship with that person. And that relationship is the foundation of this inheritance. So it means you're not an orphan, okay? You're not just someone wandering around this world purposely with no one to connect to. Someone is related to you. Someone very important is related to you. And that person is God through Jesus Christ, okay? So this is a way that Peter is using to encourage them that, hey, Things might get bad, things might get worse, but you know what? You have a relationship with God himself 
that is undefiled, is perfectly holy. He's not asking you for anything. He's just giving it to you. And it is imperishable. You can't lose it. It doesn't go away. It's there. It's for you all the time. So this is a permanent thing. It's a permanent relationship. It's a permanent um, way of, of gaining salvation and something wonderful from God. So it is not something that is here today and gone tomorrow. Gone tomorrow. You are not orphans. You are, you are members of God's family. You have a relationship with him, and that will not change. And that relationship is undefiled. It is for your good. It is not for evil. It is for good. As, as God says, my, uh, as uh, excuse me, Joseph said, God meant your, to his brothers, God meant this actions of yours for good, not evil. So anything that's happening to you is for your good. And this inheritance, which is ultimately salvation, is for your good, and it's permanent, and it's holy, okay, and unfading. So not only that, but it's kept in heaven. It's not in some storehouse somewhere that can be burned down or torn up or disappear. It's permanent. It's, it's safe. Nothing is going to change this inheritance. It's yours, and it's yours forever. Okay. It's kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Um, and you're being guarded through faith. What does that mean? Guarded through faith. Or by faith. <clears throat> The idea is one my, my protected. We, yeah, protected, right? Well, that's what guarded means. But what does it mean, guarded by faith? Winston, you had something. Yes, uh, my faith is the key uh, of my salvation. My salvation, you know, the, the the faith. My faith is the is the hands that take that gift. Without that faith, I am not guarded. It's essential. Okay. Okay, very good. Verse 6, in this you rejoice. Obviously, you're saved. You have an inheritance. Everything is great to rejoice. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Okay, now... Everybody talks about that and says, I mean, I've read, I don't know how many commentaries over the years, and they all talk about persecution, uh, you know, from Nero and all of that. I will tell you that most uh, secular scholars will tell you that the persecutions under Nero, which were happening about the time that this was written, never affected Asia. They never affected the people that Peter is talking to here. Uh, it was very localized to Rome. Paul and Peter lost their lives to it in Rome, but it re did not get out beyond Rome. That's the kind of uh, Roman Empire-wide persecutions where people were being thrown to the lions and all that was only generalized under uh, Diocletian, which is the time is about 90 or 100 AD, uh, AD. Okay, so this was not. This is not being thrown to the lions. He's not talking about that. 
And as far as I'm concerned, he's talking about something much worse. He's talking about what happens when people, even to become Christians. What happens when, when you become a Christian? You're the first member of your family or friend group that becomes a Christian. What happens? People are upset. Families are upset. Families are upset. Yeah, you become, you become an outcast. You right. become an outcast, right. Yeah. And this is one of the reasons that you become an outcast. You become, your societal relationships are fractured because you can't go to the bar anymore. Or you don't go to the, or in these people's cases, you don't go to the pagan sacrifices anymore. You don't uh, go out and gamble and drink anymore with your, with the, your old friends. You don't go to the temple to pray anymore. You, your family sees you as disrupting the whole harmony or the economy of the family, which is closely related to their relationship to the gods. So there's this all this fracturing of social and familial things that are going to cause a reaction, all right? In our day, maybe people don't talk to you as, as, as nicely or as much as they did before. Uh, all that kind of, you know, where they exclude you from certain things. All that kind of things, those kinds of stresses, which were quite exaggerated in, in these times because even basic living tended to require these social interactions and these social networks. So you're taking the social network and the family network out from under these people. And they are, that's the kind of persecution there that Peter is talking about here. And sometimes that's much harder to take than someone dragging you off or throwing you into jail or throwing you into the lion's den. Because that's cut and dry, you know what's happening. But when you're, you're, you're at drift, adrift in this family, in your family and in your social network, this is what he's talking about and it is so hard. And that's what Peter is trying to encourage them. Look, yeah, your social network is gone. Yeah, maybe even your family network is gone. Maybe your job is gone. Your living is gone. But you know what? You have something better. You have an inheritance from God himself in heaven that can't change. Never going to change. It's always going to be there, and it's always going to be perfect. So be encouraged. Um, can I say something, um, Dr. Peter? I know I came on a little bit late. So you okay. mentioned about the um, social relationships uh, being fractured as a result of one becoming a Christian, right? So sometimes, um, yes, these things do happen, but um, there are times that God can use these, that God has used these, um, these situations or people um, giving their lives to God as a means of good. It has happened before where um, others, even family members who, um, families that are torn apart, see their loved ones um, given, having given their lives to Christ. And as a result of the change, um, that person has helped to bring the family to Christ because of the life that a person is living. If that makes, you know. No, absolutely. And God can use this kind of things to bring others to Christ. And that's part of being a disciple, to use it to bring others to Christ. But notice he's saying, when all you have these trials, and all this persecution, no matter what it is, what does he say? He says, rejoice. Rejoice. Have joy in trials. Why? 
and we'll get we'll get to that. But it's well. First of all, what's the difference between joy and happiness? Happiness is um, is based on circumstances. Right. Right. Okay. Yeah. All right. And so, yeah. And joy, I think, is just, um, I think a lot of it has to do with, again, being content, uh-huh. regardless of what's going on in your life. Amen, amen. Uh, the point I would just like to make is probably going to be the last point, and we did lose some time. I'm sorry about that. And uh, if I can't, we can't figure this out, I will use the same setup with the phone and the computer next week. But joy, happiness is passive. It comes on us, and it's yeah. we don't have any real control over. Joy is active. You choose to be joyous. You choose to be content. And Peter has just given us reasons why we should be joyous. Factually, we have these facts: this inheritance, this in Christ, this in Christ, you know all this stuff that us have given us a reason to say I'm going to be joyful in that. I don't need all this other frills. I just enjoy it in this. And it doesn't matter if I'm happy or sad because circumstances will make me happy or sad. I have joy. So you can be sad and still be joyous. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Because yeah. I have, I'm sorry that my friend died, but you know what? I am joyous that he is, that I have salvation and he did or whatever. But you can be joyous without mm-hmm. having that. Joyous mm-hmm. is very subtle, okay? Mm-hmm. And read by various so that we can be tested, the genuineness of our faith uh, and this is, uh, may be uh, found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Right? Now, faith is more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire. Faith, the implication is that faith tested by fire doesn't perish. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now it says that faith may be found to result in praise, glory, and honor at the resurrection as the revelation of Jesus Christ. Whose praise, glory, and honor is he talking about there? It says praise, glory, and honor. It will result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Whose praise, glory, and honor? Ours. Ours. Exactly. Exactly. What you're saying is, look, you know what? You may be the lowest of the low now. People may hate you, may disregard you, may think you're nuts because of what you believe. But if you continue to believe in this, your faith is refined, refined by all these trials. It gets better and better and better. Um, because the more you're, if you continue to trust and believe, even though you have the trials, your faith grows. <coughs> So it gets better and better. So when Jesus comes back, what will he say? He will say, well done, my good and faithful servant. That's praise. That's honor. That's glory. So he is saying, this is not, this is not praise and honor and glory. And I've heard this preached to, to Christ. No, that's praise and honor and glory from Christ to us. So we have that to look forward to. We have to look forward to Christ giving us praise, Christ giving us honor, all right, because you have done well, my good and faithful servant, 
So, all right, we'll finish there. I know, uh, again, I'm sorry and apologize for the glitch, but I think we, you think we've made it, made it work, Peter? Yes, I think so. It was much okay. better. It's fine. It's fine. Yeah. Okay. So Peter, I was just so gonna, I was just going to say that um, you really need to have an eternal perspective uh, because you know when you feel that fracturing, as you said, of relationships, um, it's it's difficult because you know we we live for the immediate. And we, we live for what we know and a lot of unknowns about eternal life. So I think that's, it's key that we just keep on, you know, keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus and, and the inheritance. Um, otherwise I think it's, it's easy to, uh, to lose our joy. Right. And it's, it's true. You know, we live in time, which is spatial. God lives outside of time. And, when he came to the, the earth in, in, the, in, in, the, in, the, in the form of Jesus Christ, when he came to this earth and lived here, he brought eternity into our timeliness, our time. And that jump, and that's part of our being in exile. We are in exile because we still live in time, and we don't belong here. We really don't belong in time. We belong in eternity. We're here for a little while for whatever his purpose is, and until we fulfill his purpose, we will be here. The instant we have fulfilled what he has purposed for us, we'll be gone. Amen. Okay. If, if our purpose, you know, I had a very good friend whose mother, a very strong Christian family, his mother died when she was 42, and they prayed for two years over her cancer, and she died, and he was crushed. His faith was, was really, really shaky. Then he realizes that she died because her purpose that God had designed for her was done. So he took her home. Mm. Not one day sooner, not one day later, but when her, when her purpose was done, that was it. She was home. When, when my purpose is done, whether it's at age 75, 80, or 90, then fine. That's where I'm going. Not before. Not after. And everybody's purpose will be fulfilled. And then we go. Maybe that sounds a little fatalistic, but it's, it's what it is. It's God's purpose for us. But we have to understand that we live in eternity. We have one foot in eternity and one foot in time. And we have to, sort of that tension pulls us back and forth. We have to lean towards the eternity. We have to and look to the eternity. Otherwise, we get, we get crushed, we get broken, we lose our hope, we lose our joy. As more we lean towards eternity, the more we have joy. And and we focus on I'm sorry, and we focus on this we focus on this life so much that I mean, we even focus on trying to extend our life so much. Where yeah. the truth of it is, is that God already has that day numbered, uh, and we're supposed to fulfill our purpose. And we rob ourselves of seeing the joy of the moment and the joy of what God wants to do and what God does do to our lives. When we focus on, you know, trying to trying to extend our life to the most that we possibly can, and why people do that because they're still afraid of death, even though they know eternity's right around the corner. They don't. They 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 know it's coming. They're happy it's there, but no one wants to go. No one wants to beat down the door to get there. 
Um, so I don't express that. Even, even Christians, I mean, really strong Christians, uh, they, they'll, I'll tell you this. I'm not afraid of death, but I am afraid of dying. Mm -hmm. The process of dying is, is frightening. But death, you know, hey, death is to be with the Lord, so why should I worry about that? And that's the attitude has to be, you know, that, that death is not, is not the end. Death is not something that we need to fear. Because, again, if we really believe that Christ conquered death, why do we need to fear? Sal, you've been strangely quiet. Are you okay? Yes, I'm, I'm very okay. I've just been absorbing all the uh, information. Uh, one thing that struck me, though, I will say, is this inheritance, which is in, in really incomprehensible that God acquired it for us. He gave it to us. He maintains it and sustains it in heaven by his power. And he will give it to us one day. Like God has done it all. It's not, you know, we don't have to maintain it and shine it up and keep it nice and ready for us to arrive. God has from the beginning to the end done everything for us. And that is just so incomprehensible that is, and as, as it is fabulous. And you know what? You know what else he does too. Before I just jump in, Peter, Sal, I think he also also multiplies it at the same time, like a good father would do. He he multiplies based on what what we do in this life. Is our inheritance multiplied, or is it set? I don't know, but I think he multiplies our inheritance. I just want to point that out. Well, you know, as a theological jump, a push, you know, Paul talks about salvation, sanctification. And our, you know, and the equivalent of our inheritance in the future tense, but also in the present and in the past, okay, that salvation and, and this inheritance belongs to us now. We don't have to wait for the end to get it. We have some of that. We have that inheritance. We just have to grab it and use it. Mm -hmm. And God, you know, if we said, you know, I, I you know, build my faith, Lord, like the, 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 uh, um, trying to remember who it was but he said uh lord i believe help me in my unbelief all right to grab on and say i want more faith i want more belief i want more of you give it to me lord give me more of you today we have to grab it he's not going to push it on us I mean, it's there for us but it's sort of like sitting there like the talents buried in the ground we have to grab it we have to say, I want this now. I want some of this inheritance. I want some of this power now. Yeah, and I was going to say, the more we get, or the stronger we grow in faith, I think the more we feel we're in exile. And I think that if we don't feel that, that we're strangers and aliens in the world, then we're probably not very strong in our faith. I would agree with that one. Yeah. All right. Would you end this? We're way over time. Sorry. Sal, would you end us in prayer? Sure, let's pray. Lord, we're so grateful for your word and its instruction. Lord, we, we learn something new from your word uh, whenever we study it. However, Father, we pray that what we've learned will translate into change and will move us more towards a Christ-likeness and that your spirit would, would uh, move us towards a more pleasure to you and less sin. So, Father, thank you for Dr. Pete, and thank you for this lesson. Thank you for your precious word. Use it in our hearts. Use it in our lives. And, Father, we uh, ask you for a good night tonight. And, again, uh, for Pete's uh, work and preparation, we pray that next week we could get these technical bugs out. 
Lord, and we put that into your hands as we do with everything in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Thank you, Sal. Thank you, Peter. Thank you.